You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Find your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to continue here tonight. We'll... Unless the rapture happens, we're going to finish this chapter up. And then there's just ten more after that. We'll zip through it. I'll give a title here tonight, Stop Destroying This Body of Christ's. Stop Destroying This Body of Christ's. It'll make very good sense to you when you uh, follow along in verse 12. We're going to go down into verse 12. If you remember last week, um, we dealt with the subject of uh, brethren suing the brethren, especially within the church, and his idea that Paul was trying to get across was, is uh, really, you go before the lost man out in the world, a heathen man, to get judgment for issues that took place in the church. He says, isn't there a wise man among you that could have judged on those kinds of matters? And he called them small matters in in one spot. And uh, if you'll remember, if you were here last Wednesday night, the thing that really stood out to me, and I think that the heartbeat, the throb of God's heart of it all, was not to walk away from here last Wednesday night saying, oh boy, I better never sue somebody, but rather to understand there was utterly a fault amongst them, and the fault was that people were going around trying to get their needs met in a carnal way rather than trusting that God can, God can handle this. I can do, go about this in a godly way and trust that the Lord will handle this. And that was, uh, that was very convicting to me in my heart, and um, hopefully we as a, first of all, as a congregation, and then as individuals, we'll be able to make sure we're trusting the Lord, that God uh, has ways that are best for us to follow. Man, he breaks into a whole new subject now, and it is, uh, it's still issues that he's correcting in this Corinthian church, and uh, it'll become very obvious to you immediately as we get into uh, verse 12 to wrap up this chapter. Verse 12 says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. I have a little word under that verse that says the word expedient could mean something like helpful. All right? All things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Very big verse for lots of reasons. Meats for the belly and the, and the belly for meats. And all of God's people would say amen to that. But he says, notice, God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for, and here's the big subject of the day. The body is not for fornication, <clears throat> but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And he's dealing specifically with the importance that ought to be laid on the body. And verse 14, And God hath both raised up 
the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Why did that subject even come in there? We'll explain that. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. <clears throat> How many have ever memorized verses 19 and 20? Years ago, I used to have a memorization system, and these are two verses that usually always pop up in those memory systems. Look in verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And let's... Let's have a prayer there. God, thank you. It's good again to be here in the house of the Lord tonight. I just pray that you'll bless uh, what you have here for us. Would you bless me as the preacher? I need your anointing and your help, God, to be able to say what I believe you're trying to say to us as a congregation tonight. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have loaned some of my tools out over the years to different people, and sometimes when I've gotten my tools back, when I got them back, um, they came back in decent shape and in, in normal use for them. I would expect them to get used a little bit if I loaned them out. But there are other tools that I got back that were absolutely useless after I got them back. And the people who had used them, you're not here tonight, <laughs> just so you know. It wasn't anybody here. <clears throat> the people who had used them abused them and treated them like they were their own and just like they, uh, you know, it was no big deal. And as a matter of fact, I had to take some of them over and just dump them in the trash can, different things that I had loaned out. And, uh, and the Bible's clear. If you're going to loan something out, you might as well count it as if you had given it to them because if you don't and it comes back like that and you've got a bad attitude now towards somebody you loved enough to loan something, then, then it's kind of your own fault, really. It is. And so I tried to remember that. And I'm, I'm almost over the bitterness, just about. Now, it's been 10 years, but I'm just about over it. Not really. So, um, ownership. You ought to treat something that belongs to somebody else even better than you might treat it if it were your own. You should. If you, if you borrow something, try to return it looking a little better, maybe polish it up, I don't know, uh, if you can, and just bear it in, in mind that somebody else paid a price for that. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody else paid a price for it, and you're blessed to be able to have this for the moment, and then take care of that. Just kind of remember that, if you will. In, in the time we're reading about here, the, the mindset of the Greek-speaking speak, uh, people in that day uh, was the mind of... Um, that the body was not really important so much, but the mind was. So your thoughts were valuable, but the body just wasn't all that important. Um, if, if you were thirsty, then their thought was, 
well, go ahead and just take care of the need of the body. Get it done and out of the way. Again, if you're thirsty, get a drink. If you have an itch, go ahead and scratch it. If there's a sexual desire, go ahead and fulfill that desire. Be done with it. It's just a body. That was their, that was their mindset. Uh, even the, the, um, the temple Aphrodite, I don't know if it's Aphrodite or Aphrodite. I've heard people pronounce it two different ways. That, that, that temple had a thousand, you've heard this before, a thousand temple prostitutes to hire as part of your worship. If you can imagine those thoughts going together in one sentence. Um, to them, the desire to get some sleep or the desire for sexual fulfillment were all on the same level. It was not a big deal to get the fulfillment in those. And as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, that idea had piggybacked its way right into the church on the backs of carnal or backslidden or at best ignorant Christians inside the membership of that church. And so Paul is spending a good portion of his letter to the, to the Corinthians several times telling them to stay away from, flee, get away from fornication. It ought not to even be named amongst you And it may have been just a normal bodily function to you before you got saved, but now it is a moral sin before God. And that's what Paul wants to get into the church and get this subject that's made its way to the house of God without a problem. Nobody seemed to be thinking it was any big deal. And chapter 5 was an indication of that, with that son was having a relationship with his stepmother and and you've not rather grieved or mourned about this, Paul said. So now he's coming back to this moral sin that was obvious in their church. Uh, again, they had developed this, this deadly mindset, and I call it deadly because a church will just die with this mindset. Uh, and here was their mindset that now that I'm saved, I have the liberty to live my life without restrictions. I'm saved, and now I have liberty in the Lord so don't try to throw a bunch of rules and guidelines at me. I, I am free in Christ to live my life the way I want to live. Well, our freedom in Christ is freedom from the demands of the Old Testament law, without a doubt. But I do live within the structure and the outline of the Word of God. I'm free to serve Him with all my heart. And, and yet God gives us some structure to the Christian life. So first of all, uh, let's, let me get right into these thoughts here tonight. Number one, God distinguishes between the temporary and the eternal, the natural uh, uh, and the supernatural. Look with me again in verses 12 to 14. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, and God hath both raised up, um, and God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. So when when people got saved in Paul's time, they knew they had been freed from the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Uh, Meats that had been unlawful for them to eat, you've read the Old Testament like I have meats that had been unlawful for them to eat. And if it was lawful, it had to 
some rigid guidelines about draining the blood and so forth and, and restrictions to it. Now that they were saved, they could freely eat those meats and those foods. So look in verse 12 when he says, all things are lawful unto me. Paul's not saying anything goes. I can go do whatever I want to do, go watch any movie I want to watch. I can walk into anybody else's house and, 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 and say and do whatever I want. That's not what he's saying. Please get this. All he means is that uh, things that are not forbidden in the Bible, those things um, are, are lawful unto me. If God hasn't forbidden it in the Bible, then there, those are the things that I'm talking about. All things are lawful unto me. Like, can you think of anything that's not necessarily against the Word of God? Reese cups. Milkshakes. And Snickers. <clears throat> there are things that Paul is talking about, things that all things are lawful unto me, but he goes on quickly to tell them that not everything is expedient, which means beneficial. Not all things are really helpful for the body, for the Christian life. I, uh, uh, for instance, um, one Sunday we had um, a speaker for Sunday school and a speaker for the morning service, and I don't get to drink coffee on Sunday mornings because my hypoglycemia kicks in, and I thought to myself, yippee, I, I can have coffee today, I can wake up, I can know what I'm doing now, and I drank coffee, and I came here to the church, and I, there were donut holes, and I hadn't had them for years. And every day I walk by there, they're calling my name. Uh, but I, I don't eat them, but that Sunday I did. I, I think I had three of them. Oh, man, that was so good. Until I got up into the pulpit and tried to introduce the speaker uh, and, and the missionary that was here, my thoughts would not process. I tried to say something, and I got it jumbled up, and I could, I could tell I wasn't th talking straight, and you guys could tell that, and you were turning your head sideways looking at me, and it was a really, really bad day. Now, was it unlawful for me to have coffee that day? No. Or to have the donut holes? No. But was it expedient for me? No, it was not. Um, it, it made me feel horrible. And so he's saying, he makes another powerful and necessary statement, and he goes on to say, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I just will not allow even, hey, lawful things that are permissible uh, for the Christian life, I, I won't be brought under the power of that thing to where it's guiding my life and it controls everything that I do. Good things, maybe even good things for my body or for my, my, my walk or whatever it might be, but when it begins to control me rather than the Spirit of God controlling it through me, then that thing has power over my life. I remember years ago, do you guys remember when the Pokemon craze came out? I don't even know is it a game? Are they just little collector items? I, I don't know. But I do remember back in the day, parents were coming up to me and saying, Preacher, are you going to preach against Pokemon? Um, I, I didn't know what it was. I really didn't know what Pokemon was. I saw kids with the little round things. Were they? You adults were playing with them right in church. You should remember. I'm kidding. But... Um, but they were coming up to me and saying, you, you better preach on it, it's, it's devilish. And, and one of these little guys has the picture of a, a wizard or a devil on it, and they stick it in their pocket, and they carry the devil around with them all the time. And, and that parent, that, that mother was just like, and what are you going to do about it? They didn't say that, but their eyeballs were saying that to me. And so 
Man, I had to think that through. I didn't know what Pokemon was, but I did know which, um, which way I wanted to address this. What I was finding was, was that it was more of a control issue over people's lives. It, it guided and controlled their life. Uh, it had power over them. They couldn't lay it down and, and, uh, and know when to, it was as fine to maybe spend a few minutes on something or, or did it just control my every free moment. We have people that will drive up in front of the church here um, in, all week long. Uh, we have people drive up, stop in front of our church, look at their phones, look around. I know there's a game, and I may be saying or doing it wrong, but you've got to find all these things around town maybe. And in front of our church is one of them. And it just dominates, sometimes dominates people's lives. It has the power over you. Let me just make some comments about some things quickly. Um, Listen, if you have withdrawals from something when it is removed from you, well, can I just tell you tonight, that thing has power over you. I just gotta, oh, I can't stand it when I don't have, uh, and for some of us, it's electronics, it's TV, it's an iPad, it's a phone, it could be reading books, uh, and, and those things in and of themselves are not evil, but when they control your life, either in a small way or a large way, hey, guys, you've made a God out of a lawful thing. Does that make sense to you? A good thing took control of you. You're not in control of that thing any longer. Uh, it, you, you just really, it would really, really bother you to give that thing up. A little inventory of your lifestyle would be good to do tonight. Um, let, me, let me encourage you to ask yourself, you know, two or three questions here. Number one, is there anything that I spend a great amount of time on other than family time or work? And, and I think for most of us, we'd all say probably, yeah, we've got some things other than family time or work that we spend a lot of time on. Number two, would I feel greatly deprived if that thing were removed from my life? Would you be honest and answer that question? And number three, listen to number three. Am I willing to set questionable, because I'm not sure if this thing's got control of me or not, but am I willing um, to set questionable things aside for a while till I get good perspective on that subject. Because sometimes you don't know while you're in the midst of it if it's got control of you or not. You can sit there and say, man, I, I am, I'm the dominator here. But sometimes when you back away from that, like, like television, and I know uh, in our generation, I, I'm told uh, by most that young people don't watch television as much anymore. They watch this thing in their hand. Um, but if you'd lay it down, if you'd laid it down for a week, I'm asking you, would you be willing to do that if some items are questionable? To see if something has, I mean, it's God's word. This is not, hey, preacher had this idea tonight to give some things up. No, no, I mean, Paul was pretty clear, I will not be brought under the power of any. And if I'm not sure about something, maybe this would be a good thing to consider. Set it aside for a while till you get some perspective on that and ask God to give you direction about that. Verse 13, if you look at it again with me, meats for the belly and the belly for meats. What? 
but God shall destroy both it and them. And then he goes right to the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now let me talk about that. Meats are created by God for the belly. And again, I say amen to that. I love hamburgers. You put a nice medium rare steak in front of me, ribeye, uh, sitting on a plate right there sizzling, or a cheeseburger over here that's got tomato slices, a little bit of lettuce, and a bunch of mayonnaise on it with really tender buns. One on either side, and you say, preacher, make your choice. Well, when you turn your head, I'm snatching both of them, but I'd choose that hamburger. I'm not kidding, as quick as I would the steak. Meats are created by God for the belly. I hope you've had supper tonight, because we've gone through Reese cups, Snickers, milkshakes, and now steaks and burgers. <laughs> God's subject, meats are created by God for the belly. Hey, but like God said, here's the big deal. Don't miss this. Uh, both will eventually be destroyed or pass on as all temporary things will do. They will. Uh, I mean, the meat that I ate one day looking backwards from heaven is not going to have a big impact on me standing in heaven. Uh, my, my tummy and, and the meat is going to uh, disappear. I know for some of us, and I speak personally about this, there are days I wish my tummy would disappear. Um, My eating plan gets difficult sometimes. Eating, here's the deal, eating meat is a common, ordinary, and profitable function for the body, so it's natural for us to eat. That's a natural thing for us to do. But, and here's where God turns the corner in that same verse, um, Though sex is a function of the human body, fornication is not an allowable function for our bodies. Eating a meat, eating a hamburger, no big deal. From any restaurant, from any place, uh, unless you're sitting in a bar doing that, uh, is, uh, is very allowable to God. But this body itself, as a whole, as God looks at us as a whole, fornication is not a, a, an allowable function for our, our bodies. Like he says, our bodies are, right there in the verse, our bodies are for the Lord, right there in verse 13, and the Lord for the body. So it's speaking about the body where fornication could take place. In verse 14, look at it again, and God hath both raised up the Lord uh, and will also raise up us by uh, his own power. Where does the resurrection come into this subject about meats? All right, what he's trying to say is this. Unlike food for the belly that's temporary, the body will one day rise up from the grave as an eternal body to be united with Christ and the rest of his body in heaven. So the body is an eternal matter that needs to be dealt with with eternal thoughts, and it is of the utmost higher importance than a hamburger that sits in front of you for your belly. And he's saying you need to give higher consideration to the function of this body because it can uh, create uh, moral issues between you and your God. In verse 15 to 18, Paul begins to describe the ownership of our bodies. Paul gets very graphic and very visual in these verses. Um, He reminds them that their bodies are the members of Christ. Look in verse 15 with me. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Now, let's just stop here and think for a minute. Can you look back up here? The people sitting in the pews here tonight, the guy behind the pulpit, our bodies are the member of Jesus Christ. 
Christ is a part of me. I am a part of Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Christ is my life. So really, really a big deal. So he reminds them that their bodies are the members of Christ. And when you, here it is, when you carry out the act of fornication, and he uses in this example here tonight with a harlot, you're taking Christ's body and uniting it with a harlot. I mean, think about that. The body of Christ united with a harlot. And he says, God forbid that Christians would be involved in an act like that. He tells them the act of sex unites two people as one. And he reminds them back into Genesis 2 and verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And what's the next little phrase? And they shall be one flesh. That is a description of uh, the physical act between husband and wife. So imagine the unthinkable that we could unite Christ's body in his words, with a whore. Shame doesn't even come close to describing that. It's a big subject to God. It is a a tremendous thing that needs to be avoided, especially within the the membership of of, uh, the church. So he tells him in verse 17, look at it again, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So just like a man with a woman becomes one in that physical act, God says to the contrary of that, uh, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. In other words, when we get saved, guys, our, our, our union is now with God. So he carries this uh, thought all the way uh, to, the, to its obvious end. So if, if me being united physically um, makes me one, then me being united with Jesus Christ gives me that union with him. How could I take the union with Christ and mess it up so badly with fornication? Something that a, a, a Christian should never take part in, obviously. So flee fornication. Uh, I mean, uh, run from it. When, when we get saved, our union is now with God and God alone. So he carries that all the way through and tells you to run from that subject. I mean, run from it, get away from what tempts you to do what is wrong. Don't try to just, you know, hang around and be strong. You know, I, I can be strong. These things aren't going to bother me. No, run from it. Joseph in Egypt, in captivity. You remember Joseph? I mean, he's serving uh, Potiphar and his wife uh, tried to seduce him over and over again, and he kept turning away and and saying, no, how could I do such a thing like this? And you remember the day she grabbed his robe and tried to pull him into the bed with her to commit uh, adultery uh, against uh, her own husband. And what did Joseph do? Stripped himself out of that robe and took off running like every man ought to do. I don't know what you allow to pass through the eye gate in your life, through lots of different venues, TVs and screens of any size or any sort. But when things like this subject go past your eyes and we treat it as if it's just no big deal, 
we've reached the level where they are in this passage right here. It's no big deal. I'm thirsty, I get a drink. I, I'm hungry, I eat. I, I have sexual desire. I can, it doesn't matter. I let it be fulfilled right here on the screen, right in my house. But God's Word says flee from that. Don't get close to it. Um, well, I'll just get stronger. I'll just keep praying myself about this, and I'll, I'll become so strong that I can be around those things and it won't bother me. Well, you're living somehow contrary to what God says. God says my solution is, here's how to get over it, run! <laughs> Take off running! Amen. Um, it's like a skunk coming up the sidewalk. Take off running. Well, I, I think I can tame him. Yeah, you go ahead and try that, and you're going to stink. And if you think you can tame your passions and, and that I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in full control of my life, I have no worries about this, you're going to walk away stinking really, really bad. And nothing good ever turns out from sexual sins. Nothing. It always turns out bad. Um, follow, the, follow the homes where uh, uh, people have gone where they ought not to have go, ought not to go and, and where things have gone uh, to a greater depth. And uh, Satan always capitalizes on that. Run from it, get away from it. Verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. In other words, most every other sin we commit involves something outside of our bodies. It's very, very different from the sin of fornication. But the sin of fornication directly affects our bodies, which are the members of Christ. That's what he was saying in, in that verse. And then lastly, Paul reminds them that our bodies are the temple of God. And look with me, if you will, in verses 19 and 20 again. Matter of fact, these are such good verses. Can we read these out loud together? Verse 19 and 20, can I hear your voice good and strong? Verse 19, the Bible says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Back in 19, early 80s, Yvette and I had lived in four, I think it was three or four different apartments slash twin homes uh, here in Sioux Falls. And uh, Leroy Cruz, does anybody remember the name Leroy Cruz? Wow, I'm so amazed how many remember every time I say a name from way in the past. Was a realtor at the time, and he says, I got a house for you guys, and I'm like, we cannot afford a house. No, no way. No down payment, nothing. Two nickels, good down payment. Uh, I mean, and that guy just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked on that banker until the banker said, all right, we'll let him buy the house for $32,000. It had 620 square feet. I think that included the garage. <laughs> it, was, it was a small little house, but I'm going to tell you what. It was ours. And we, well, ours in the banks. But it was ours. And uh, we moved into that house, and we inhabited that house. It was ours. I mean, you went down the little stairway. Uh, you banged your head on the header as you went down, if you wasn't careful. That's why I have such a thick head right there. Uh, it was um, the basement was a concrete on the floor and the concrete was only about a half an inch thick seriously in many places and crumbling and so forth and and it was 
It had spiders down there, and, the, and it had two bedrooms, and Yvette and I obviously slept in one bedroom, and after we had our third daughter, we had three girls in one little tiny bedroom. But it was ours. We had a house. We called it our home. Every time we pulled up, we looked at each other and said, we're home. So glad to have a house with a garage, an attached garage, two trees. <laughs> they were ours. We called ourselves the owners of our house. Now listen, Acts 20, 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, this is Paul talking to the Ephesian pastors, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, here's the phrase, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. That house was ours because we were paying for it. We were paying the price for that house. And once that we owned that house, we walked inside and inhabited it. And when Jesus Christ paid the price for this vessel, he now owns the house. And he moves in and inhabits his temple. It's not ours. Don't you realize um, it's God's. You've been bought with a price. And you don't have the right or the privilege to run around as if this is your body and I'll do with it what I want. I don't care what so-and-so says. It doesn't matter what this says. Uh, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. Well, friend, you don't own your body. It was paid for with a tremendous price. It was more than just a down payment. It was paid in full at Calvary, and God owns every one of us. And if you have some kind, if I have some kind of sin, whether do I think there's fornication going on in this church? I don't believe that. But I do believe there are things in our lives that we do in the structure of this body, this temple of God. When this temple belongs to God and He lives inside of me, that I think really should do some really serious questioning about what does God feel about? What does God think about the way I'm treating the temple that belongs to him? That was the bell I believe Paul was trying to ring for these Corinthian Christians, and I believe it's something we ought to consider. I'm not trying to make light of the fact that fornication, uh, adultery could not take place within um, the membership of our church. I know that's possible. We're all human. But God willing, we will treat this vessel as the temple of God that it honestly is, and never allow those things to get that close to our Christian life. Could we all say amen to that? We want to encourage you to visit our website.